0: Welcome to the Tally Room Podcast. I'm Ben Rowey. I'm joined today by Tasmanian cephalogist Kevin Bonham to talk about the upcoming Tasmanian local government elections. Hello, Kevin. Good morning. All of Tasmania's councils are going to the polls this October. Voters should now have their postal voting kits and they need to be back with the Electoral Commission by the 25th of October. This is the first Tasmanian council election since compulsory voting was introduced, and it appears to be coinciding with some increases in candidates grouping up to form tickets in some of the bigger councils. Uh, Kevin, where is your focus in this election?
1: My primary focus is uh, on Hobart because it's uh, the city I live in and the one I've been observing for the longest and it's got a a very big election in terms of the amount of noise that's been going on for a long time and the large number of candidates, 44. Uh, I've also this year expanded my uh, guide program to include uh, Clarence Council, as well, and I'm keeping a general eye on things going on in uh, other councils, but not in anywhere near as much uh, detail. For
0: people who know Hobart but don't know its council borders, um, Clarence basically covers the eastern shore of the Derwent in Hobart, right? It's one of the Hobart urban area councils.
1: Yes, the Greater Hobart is split into uh, Hobart, Glenorchy and Kingborough on the western side and uh, Clarence Council on the uh, eastern side. Yes, yeah, so, so I'm also covering on some uh, general uh, uh, themes like the, um, the rate of candidates uh, recontesting or retiring and uh, I'll be having a look at uh, who gets re-elected and who doesn't when the, the results are all in. So
0: to start with a little bit of basic constitutional stuff, um, there's no wards in Tasmania. It's all PR whole councils. Until relatively recently, what would happen is you'd have half the council up for election every two years. But as of 2018, it's full council elections. But also there are separate mayoral and deputy mayoral elections, and they're not a ticket. They're two separate elections for those two positions. The mayor and deputy mayor have to also win a council seat. If they don't, they effectively are disqualified and someone else gets elected, right? Um, So they get their one vote as a councillor, but they don't get like a bonus vote, as you might see in um, New South Wales, where um, the mayor uh, effectively gets elected as mayor and then is disqualified from the council election. And so their votes get to elect someone else. That's not how it works in Hobart. You need your council seat um, in order to qualify as mayor.
1: Yes, and there have been a few cases of uh, people being elected as deputy mayor and not being elected as a councillor and hence being unable to take their seats on the council. Uh, this so far hasn't yet happened with a mayor. In theory, it could happen, but it's never actually happened. Uh, it's I should clarify, 2014 was when this all-in, all-out system started. The last election with, with half-in, half-out was 2011.
0: Right, right. Um, ballot papers, generally, it's just... It's uh, people don't have party names. Am I, am I right about that? There's no party labels on the ballot and it's just one column of names.
1: There are no party cues on the ballot. It's just a column of, of names, uh, a single vertical column. Uh, it is Robson rotated, so you don't get a donkey vote advantage, which will be quite a big thing in some of these elections because of the low levels of recognition. Uh, but in Tasmania, they're, they're all the ballots are uh, rotated uh, for the for the councillor ballot. They have relaxed the formality rules. There was a, a bit of an informal vote disaster in the previous two elections when they went up to uh, large numbers of seats to be filled, but now you only have to vote one to five for a formal vote on councillor. And for the mayor and deputy ballots, uh, they're fully optional preferential voting. You can just vote one and stop if you want to.
0: Yeah, because what you had to do for council before that was if there were 12 seats after election, you had to number one to 12, right?
1: Yes, and that was leading to uh, um, informal voting rates approaching uh, 10% in some councils.
0: And before we zoom into any particular... Is there any rules that limit who can get on the ballot? Like, do you have to have a nomination fee, or have people sign you sign your nomination form?
1: It's very easy to get on the ballot. You, you only have to have two signatures, and there's uh, no deposit. I uh, personally think it's ridiculous that there's no deposit for the bigger councils. I think for the smaller councils, it's okay because it's they, they struggle to attract big fields. But um, for for Hobart, you get you get 44 candidates this election, a record number, and uh, a a number of those people have no chance of election, and some of them are making no effort whatsoever. Uh, One of them I've seen no activity from at all.
0: Yeah, so we'll get to Hobart in a second, and that is the reason I asked about the ballot access rule, Um, and you'll see in a picture associated with this podcast, a picture that uh, Kevin holding up his ballot paper for Hobart, and it is very long and very big. And there is no structure. There's no party groups or anything that might help you understand what's there. Um, and finally, compulsory voting. That's new in Tasmania. That hasn't happened before. What sort of turnout levels did you use to get in Tasmania?
1: Uh, so the last uh, council election the turnout level was in the high 50s, uh, plus a, a, a little bit extra for people who uh, had their votes disallowed. So pushing 60 uh, that was that was up a bit on it had usually been a bit over 50 um, so it looks at the moment like it's on track with compulsory voting it might be something in the sort of 80 to 85 area which is um, but it's a lot of guesswork in that estimate it's it's comparable to other states with compulsory voting I think broadly
0: I think sometimes people assume that the goal should necessarily be 100%, which I don't think it necessarily needs to be. Yeah, as you say, even in states like New South Wales, where there's not just um, compulsory voting, but there's also attendance voting, which uh, my understanding is it's all postal ballots in Tasmania. You know, 85% is pretty solid for a council election. So, I mean, I, I think 50-something percent's is okay. I mean, was there, was there a concern particularly about the rate not being high enough, or was this a bit more of a consistency thing about like, well, If we force people to vote for state, we should do it for council.
1: It was somewhat weird because the issue had been around for a while and there was a a stalled local government review process that had actually, uh, compulsory voting had actually been dropped as a a recommendation from from that and was not was not going forward Uh, and then suddenly with a new minister suddenly uh, compulsory voting and formality reform uh, appeared at the same time and were passed through Parliament very quickly. Um, One issue with it is that under voluntary voting, there has been a pronounced age skew, with uh, the older voter groups voting much more heavily, and the younger voter groups, with the exception of the very youngest, who may still be at home, who are a little bit higher, but generally the, the sort of the mid twenties age group had had very low participation rates, and that's becoming an issue because council policies have impact on. On younger voters, particularly in the area areas like like housing affordability, short stay accommodation, which is becoming a bigger issue in Tasmania.
0: And I would guess that's also a bigger problem for a postal only system as opposed to a attendance system, where you know postal voting is still a freely available option, but it's not um, universal. And I think we saw that this a lot with the marriage referendum that right that um, there's a lot of people who maybe don't live at the house that they're enrolled at anymore, um, but it's not necessarily a huge problem at a state or a federal election. I mean, eventually they will get taken off the roll if they don't live there, but if they still live in the same area and they've only moved recently, it's not really that big a deal. They can still go and vote. But if you're waiting for your ballot to arrive and it goes to the wrong house, then there's nothing you can do about that, right? So I can imagine that being a bigger problem uh, with a postal voting system.
1: There have been some issues raised with with this being an almost entirely postal election. Um, I think... Obviously, the the age gap in turnout is going to narrow at this election because you know the previous problem was mostly young people just not having enough knowledge and interest in council politics. But there's still going to be issues with uh, people not getting their uh, their ballot papers in time, people being being overseas and unable to unable to vote. So that's been a source of some controversy. Uh, in particular, there's no uh, online voting option. Um, there is a very limited degree of assisted voting for uh, people with vision issues and things like that.
0: Talking about information, that brings me on to my next point, and this may bring us into talking about Hobart. You know, um, there's no party labels on the ballot. Uh, There are some candidates who are endorsed by parties, but most of them aren't. Um, You know, I think sometimes people have this idea, particularly of local government, of this pure representational system where it's just free independence Um, expressing their opinions and people voting based on their policies and all that kind of stuff. But that kind of system, which does exist in plenty of councils, at least in theory, imposes a a big information burden on the voter, right, as opposed to a place where there are clear party labels and they know who stands for what and they can vote for them without really needing to know who the individual person is. Um, And that brings me to what seems to be happening a little bit more in Tasmania, it's not completely new, which is tickets which is candidates who maybe they're members of parties, maybe they're not, but they group together and they say, we are a team. We have a brand name. Maybe they have some common advertising. Um, You don't see it on the ballot paper, of course. They're just listed, um, dotted all over the ballot paper, but there there is an argument for that. Presumably, there's some ability to share resources and campaign together. What's the trends in that area?
1: Yes, tickets have gone up, at least in some of the bigger councils that I've had a look at. Uh, in, in Hobart, more than half the candidates are on some kind of ticket or some kind of uh, joint branding arrangement or something of that, of that kind, um, and that's a substantial increase on the previous two elections. And uh, the, the, there's always been tickets in in Vote Council, but the the number and the proportion of candidates on them is is up. Um, can, voters do get information booklets. You get you get an information booklet in the mail with photos and candidate statements, and uh, the online version of that contains web links if the candidate has submitted a web link, which a lot of candidates have failed to do. But those only go so far because candidates tend to write very bland statements and and tend to be rather sort of self-effacing and generalising in their candidate statements. It's like they're, they're deliberately avoiding telling the voters anything about themselves that might put them at risk.
0: Yeah, or convince the voter that they're the person to vote for, right.
1: Yeah, so a lot of candidates are missing the opportunity to use the candidate statement process to to get to, to communicate with voters effectively. I think it's a bit disappointing personally.
0: Mm, to stick out, you know, out of a bunch of people who you don't know anything about, they say they've. I'm guessing that says talks a lot about their community involvement and their participation and everything and all the good good deeds they've done, but it doesn't really tell you anything about what makes this person different to that other person. Yeah. So, okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about Hobart. Hobart has um, a Lord Mayor who's uh, Anna Reynolds, who is a former member of the Greens. I I remember coming across her when I was a member of the Greens, um, who... I believe was previously a councillor before she was elected mayor, but I don't believe she was elected as a Greens councillor. Am I right about that?
1: Anna Reynolds was first was first elected as a Greens councillor, um, and this is a common pattern in Tasmanian councils. You get a lot of candidates who uh, get elected with the Greens, and then after one term with the Greens, they run as an independent. So she was she ran as an independent at the end of her uh, first term as a Greens councillor. Um, having been elected with the Greens, she didn't vote with the other Greens all that consistently and then ran as a as a left independent and was uh, uh, elected massively in the 2018 election as, as mayor in an election that was heavily dominated by the proposed Canadian uh, uh, Mount Wellington cable car. Um, and so she won with a with a huge margin. It has, has continued uh, basically that sort of uh, voting pattern, sort of left independent voting pattern. And this election is running her own ticket with a range of sort of left wing people who aren't the Greens. Some of them have Green backgrounds, some of them have Labor backgrounds, some of them uh, don't have any party backgrounds.
0: And what's the name of that ticket?
1: That ticket is called Your Hobart Independence. And it's a, it's a sort of it it attracted the it's sort of running in an aqua teal sort of colour and it's attracted the attracted the teal label heavily and we've seen a lot actually that that sort of this kind of teal branding is being used by a lot of leftish independent candidates and then a lot of them are actually just sort of running away from the label and saying oh we're not really teals we're something else
0: well teal implies a certain bluishness, right? The whole point of it is it has a certain liberal tinge, but it sounds like really what these people are is they're just centre-left. I mean, I saw the quote where she said, we're not teal, we're aqua. Someone pointed out to me that uh, uh, aqua is even more blue than teal. Okay, so she's kind of, she's the mayor. Um, Does does she have kind of a supportive majority? Is there a progressive majority on the council now?
1: Uh, The current council um, has been, Heavily factionalised. Uh, the most, the most factionalised I have seen in at least a few decades of council politics uh, on Hobart, and it has been split six all between what I call the Green side, which is not necessarily the capital G Greens, and what I call the Blue side, which is you know, sort of pro-pro-commerce, liberal party-ish types. Not all of whom are actually liberals, but uh, that's been. There's been a lot of six-all votes on this on, on this term of council um, across a range of different issues. I found I found 18 different issues that it had tied, different issue types that it had tied votes during this term. So it's been a, a, a finely balanced council on a lot of things. Uh, there's been also a lot of issues that see um, sort of like a roughly nine-three split. You know, sort of the the the, the harder core right votes one way and most of the council votes the other way, or the harder core left votes one way and most of the council votes the other way. So the cable car approval was was an example of that. You had the the, the three most um liberal blue end councillors voting in favour of approving the cable car and everybody else voting against it.
0: And her predecessors as mayor, are they generally of the centre left? Like Hobart is a pretty strongly labor Greens town in state and federal politics, but does it usually elect a centre-left mayor?
1: Not always. Um, So we had um, Rob Valentine, who is now um, MLC for Hobart and one of the most left-wing members of the Legislative Council. Um, And he was mayor for about 12 years. And so he was relatively left, but not necessarily all that left in his council voting behaviour. And after him we had two from the um from the bluish side, uh uh Damon Thomas and uh Sue Hickey, later uh Liberal Speaker of the the House of Assembly who turned independent and lost her seat and has now gone to Clonorkey Council. So the the um yeah the council politics hasn't the, the council leadership hasn't always been that that green, when I go back to before Valentine, there were a, a few uh, conservative mayors. Doing Kennedy was a famous conservative mayor.
0: Okay, so what's your take on what he thinks is going to happen this time? Like, who's her main rivals that are pushing against her? Do you think she's going to get re-elected?
1: It's not obvious who the main opposition to Reynolds is for, on the mayoral contest. A lot of the more uh, significant contenders have run as deputy mayor instead. And so it's... Like the, the the opposition to her is going to be scattered around between various uh, more right leaning candidates, and at, at this stage I will be surprised if if anyone got close to her. Uh, the the one caution on that is that there is a massive issue in this council election, which is the uh, the move of the University of Tasmania into the into the middle of the city, and. Uh, So people who are strongly opposed to that will probably vote for other candidates. Reynolds has been seen as supportive and then moving towards a more nuanced position. And I I, I don't sort of sense that there is any one candidate who's a particular threat. And if you get a big primary vote lead in these these elections, you don't get caught.
0: Because it's optional preferential voting, right? And so it sounds like Reynolds will probably get re-elected. And it sounds like... You know the council is reasonably evenly split, but um, you know maybe maybe there'll be an extra progressive, and she'll she'll get a sol- that solid majority. Um, can we talk quickly about Clarence? That's the other council that you're covering, and we'll link to your guide. Um, what are the dynamics to watch for there?
1: Clarence Council has sort of similar, recognisable right and left. Councillors to Hobart, but it's nowhere near as factionalised. I actually found it refreshing seeing how how unfactionalised it, it was. Clarence um, Council is interesting in that you have quite a few councillors who have party links or state political links, but the the way people vote on council is very different different to their party affiliations. So. You have, for instance, uh, uh, James Walker, who has run for the um, for the Liberals in state elections, is um, pretty much a, a centrist as concerns Clarence Council politics. Um, whereas uh, Heather Chong, who has run for Labor in state elections, is to the um, to the right of him on on council development type issues. So party labels produce quite a mix of candidates you, you, you can't sort of pick from from which major party someone's in how they will vote on, on council issues there um, Clarence is a, uh, a retiring Mayor, Doug Chipman who has been Mayor for a long time So Clarence is quite an interesting um, race for Mayor uh, coming up because Doug Chipman, veteran mayor, has uh, retired and so we have a quite unpredictable race between uh, Heather Chong, um, James Walker, so they're sort of towards the closer to the centre of the council, uh, Brendan Blomley who's a well-known Liberal who's um, at the right end of the council and Beth Warren who's uh, Tasmanian Greens candidate who's sort of a, a relatively moderate Green uh, not the most, not the most sort of anti-development voting member of the council. Um, so all of those four are, are serious candidates, and it will be interesting to see what order they finish in.
0: Is there any other councils you want to touch on the the bigger councils uh, that have um, you know who the mayor is that they might be facing a challenge or anything like that?
1: Most of the cases where I looked at where there was a re, where there was a recontesting mayor, they looked like they had good prospects of getting back in. So in Glenorchy, I I don't think the the recontesting Mayor Beck Thomas is facing very serious challenges. Similarly, in Kingborough, Paula Reid, former Labor MP, is only facing one challenger who's an off council candidate who couldn't get elected in a by election last year. So, um, an interesting one is uh, Launceston. Launceston also has the retirement of another very long term mayor, Albert Van Zetten. And uh, Launceston's got a very weak mayoral field, all male. There's been some general concern about the lack of diversity in the Launceston field. Um, the leading contender for the Launceston mayor, based on past elections, had a bit of a banana skin when he was exposed as having uh, uh, forged an academic record nearly 20 years ago. So there'll um, I'm not sure who's going to come out best there.
0: Uh, Kevin, what are your plans for covering the council election going forward? Like, What should people be paying attention to?
1: So I believe the count actually starting next next Wednesday, Tuesday is the close of voting, and I will be covering it on my website to the extent that I can, consistent with um, also council scrutineering commitments. I'm actually scrutineering Hobart Council for candidate, but those two things work pretty well in tandem. Uh, they. For the council accounts, they do a similar thing to the ACT where there are progressive counts, you get a twenty percent count and a fifty percent count and so on. I'm not sure exactly how they're doing that this this year, but but you get you get a sort of a provisional hair clerk distribution. But they do change a bit. There's a bit of a, a green shift that tends to occur as in late postal voting, so that the, the the early results not necessarily what you end up with.
0: The early results in Hobart are a bit more conservative than the final results usually.
1: Yeah, that, that was consistent across a large number of councils last time that the 20% council accounts were, uh, there was a bit of a shift to the left in the final results from those.
0: That interim count. Feature that's really cool we should do that basically everywhere we use PR I reckon um one last question on that so they data into the council ballots but the state ballots they don't data enter right they kind of hand count them
1: that's correct the council the council ballots are data entered in a process similar to the uh to the senate's data entry and similar to data entry in other states but yes uh, state State ballots are still uh, are still hand counted, so for state ballots you don't get these interim distributions. You you still get firstly the primaries come out and then they distribute the surfaces and then they cut from the bottom and you have this you have this sort of uh, sort of process of attrition that evolves over a number of days, um, a few days of, of of cut up. Whereas with these ones, once they've entered in enough ballots, you get you get a provisional cut up on the first on the first day, and it might not. Tell you everyone who's going to get elected. You you might sort of say for council of twelve for the first seven or so you can call, um, and then the rest you're wait, left waiting to see because quite often the the margins for the margins for final seats in these council elections are often extremely
0: close all right great so that's about it for this episode of the tally room podcast thank you kevin for joining me very welcome so this is the first of a mini series of seven episodes we're going to be doing i'll be back next week with an episode wrapping up the papua new guinea election and then we're going to have a bunch covering the victorian election kevin will be featuring for one of those uh you can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice if you like the show please consider rating or reviewing us on itunes you can follow The Tally Room on Twitter at The Tally Room or like us on Facebook. This podcast is made possible thanks to the generous support of our donors on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com tallyroom. For the first time, I'll be trialing ads on The Tally Room podcast this week. Please bear with me while we work out the best way to do this, and I'll be make, looking at making an ad-free version for Patreon donors soon. Information about this podcast is available at tallyroom.com.au, and you can email questions or feedback to thetallyroom at gmail.com. Thanks to Krista Brode for writing the music you hear in this episode. Once again, thanks for listening.